You're listening to Comedy Central. July 17th, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. is a phenomenal African artist whose art was featured on the cover of Time magazine. Nelson Makamo is joining us, everybody. A really fascinating young man. You're gonna love him. Also on tonight's show, what Jeffrey Epstein was doing at Mar-a-Lago, Congress descends into chaos, and why the Russians now have your face. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with the trend that's going viral. Face app. It's the app that lets users see themselves as old people and the reason why your Instagram now looks like Tinder at a nursing home. (laughs) And you can see why the app has gone viral, right? It does, like, a really crazy good job of showing how you could look if you were old. For instance, we we tried it on the Democratic candidates, and it's pretty insane to see, right? (laughs) This is what Kamala would look like when she's old, right? Um, This is what Mayor Pete would look like, yes, yes. And when we tried it on Bernie, the system crashed. Um, (laughs) But... (laughs) But while we're all having fun with the latest social media fad, it turns out Face App might not be harmless fun. Security concerns over a face-aging app that's getting new attention because of celebrities and sports stars. You've probably done it yourself. Well, it turns out the developer of the app is based in Russia, and that is raising concerns that private information could fall into the wrong hands. Bravo, Russians. (laughs) You've done it again. Honestly, I should have known something was up when the app asked me for access to my camera, my location, and any photos of me getting peed on. I should have known. (laughs) And FaceApp, working with the Russians, right? Just reminds me of how careful we have to be with all of these apps. Like, this is almost as bad as when we found out that 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 dancing Snapchat hot dog secretly worked for ISIS. That was a tough day for us. (laughs) And you know, it makes sense that Russians built an app to make people look older than they are because that's basically what living in Russia does to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that isn't FaceApp. Those women are 25. It's a tough country. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of getting old, the world's biggest drug lord, El Chapo Guzman, was sentenced in court today. And let's just say his fellow prisoners are also gonna get to see what his face will look like in 30 years, but the old school way. Convicted drug kingpin known as El Chapo will spend the rest of his life in prison. Today in Brooklyn Federal Court, Joaquin Guzman Loera was sentenced to life plus 30 years. Damn. <laughs> life plus 30 years. That judge wasn't messing around. You realize that means even if he's reincarnated, he still owes the justice system 30 years. <laughs> yeah, so El Chapo could come back as a baby giraffe. It doesn't matter. They take him straight to the Brooklyn Zoo. They'll be like, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, what do you think zoos were? It's animal jail. That's what that shit is. <laughs> That's El Chapo, don't ah. (laughs) That's El Chapo giraffe. Don't you ah that giraffe. (laughs) Actually, if anything, that sentence is harshest on El Chapo's cellmates because you realize that he has to spend 30 years with a corpse, right? Every night they'll be playing poker. He'll be like, okay, El Chapo, I raise you. Wow, you don't give anything away, man. You're really good. (laughs) But now that El Chapo's behind bars, there's an opening for the world's new 
top drug smuggler. And there's a story breaking today about a man who just might be the guy. Spanish police arrested a 65-year-old man from Colombia after they found a pound of cocaine under his toupee. Police say the man stuck out last month when he arrived at the airport in Barcelona. He looked nervous and his hairpiece was several inches above his head. You see there on the left, the man with the toupee and then the toupee off in the right picture and uh, that bundle of cocaine perched on his head. Okay, like, you know, his sentence should be that he just has to wear that wig forever. That's what it should be. But like, for real though, I feel like he isn't even the worst criminal. The worst criminal is the person who's his friend who let him leave the house with that on, who was like, no, dude, I can't even tell that it's fake. I can't even see it. I... And now you may be asking, hey, why didn't this guy just put the drugs in his butt? Well, he did, and that also looked suspicious as well. It, uh... <laughs> All right, moving on to some exciting technology news. The man who brought us Tesla, SpaceX, and the Hyperloop has just unveiled his latest amazing project. Elon Musk's next big idea. New details about his brain-to-machine interface. The device itself is cutting edge. What it is is a thread-like device, thinner than a human hair. It gets inserted through a skull, and on it are thousands of electrodes which monitor brain neurons and transmit that data back. They are looking to create symbiosis with artificial intelligence. I think even in a benign AI scenario, we will be left behind. But I think with... Uh, a high bandwidth brain machine interface, I think we can actually go along for the ride. Um, and we can effectively have the option of merging with AI. Okay, what? <laughs> Elon Musk is saying that because AI is gonna wipe out humans in the future, humans should just make ourselves computers before computers wipe us out? Is this guy a computer? Is this a trap? <laughs> it feels like a trap. You can't escape something by doing it to yourself, huh? That would be like if a plane is crashing and then you jump out without a parachute. I'm not gonna die in a plane crash! You're like, yeah, you're gonna die next to a plane crash. It's gonna be the plane crash and you. Also, having computers in our brains is not gonna end well. Can we agree on this? It is not gonna end well. Think about how many times you've hit reply all by mistake, huh? <laughs> now, imagine you could reply all with your brain. Your coworker comes up to you the next day and is like, hey, uh, everything you thought yesterday, yeah, you sent that to the entire office, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think the connection is gonna look that great because Elon Musk says in the future, it would just be like one strand of hair, right? So they'll shrink it down, right? But for now, it's not one strand, it's many strands of hair. I think we actually have a picture of what it looks like. Uh, that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our main story. <laughs> It has now been four days since Donald Trump sent out that infamous tweet telling four minority Democratic Congresswomen to go back to where they came from. And most people have agreed the tweet was racist. Firstly, because three of the Congresswomen were born in the US. And secondly, because the phrase, go back to where you come from, is literally a racist cliche. Like, I hate it when people say that to me. Just the other day, someone was like, Trevor, when are you going back to Africa? And I was like, mom, I live in New York now, okay? <laughs> We can just FaceTime. <laughs> now, despite the backlash, Trump has doubled down on his racist tweets, but his fellow Republicans, they're having a harder time defending his words, right? Republicans like Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader and cover model of Loose Skin Weekly. <laughs> because you see, McConnell, 
is married to Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao, who herself is an immigrant. And a journalist asked him how he would feel if someone told his wife to go back to where she comes from. You're married to an immigrant who's a naturalized U.S. citizen. If someone were to say to her she should go back to her country because of her criticism of federal policies, wouldn't you consider that a racist attack? (laughs) Well, the Secretary of Transportation came here at age eight legally, not speaking a word of English, and has realized the American dream. Okay, that's a weird way to dodge a question. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for your question. I will now read my wife's Wikipedia page. Um, Elaine Chow, early life and education. (laughs) But that was just the appetizer. The real drama yesterday was on the floor of Congress, where the Democrats introduced a resolution to officially condemn Trump's words as racist, right? But then, after Nancy Pelosi called Trump's words racist, Republicans in Congress objected to her words because apparently, this is completely true, there's a rule in Congress that says members of Congress in the house, on the floor, can't accuse the president of racism. You're not allowed to do it, even if the president says something racist, which is insane. Like, Congress couldn't even call Trump racist if he walked into the Capitol, like, wearing full blackface, just, like, running and just being like, my niggas! (laughs) Yeah, which is probably gonna be his next State of the Union if he finds this out. (laughs) So because Nancy Pelosi called Trump's racist tweet racist on the house floor, all hell broke loose Congress style. Breaking overnight chaos on Capitol Hill after a raucous debate, a rare move by the House, voting to condemn President Trump over his attack on four Democratic Congresswomen. Quite a scene here on the House floor, a raucous fight exposed those deep partisan divides here on the Hill. The House is not in order. Mr. Speaker. The gentleman from Georgia. Mr. Speaker, parliamentary inquiry. Do do you think it's not racist? The gentleman was suspended. The gentleman was suspended. Is that what you're saying right now, Mr. Collins? Gentleman will suspend. Mr. Collins. I see nothing that references anybody's race. Okay, hold up, hold up. Man, what that guy said is total BS. Like, you can still be racist without actually saying somebody's race. We all know this shit. You people, we don't like your kind around here. Go back to where you came from. Either this congressman is being willfully ignorant or he's genuinely clueless and never knows when people are shitting on him. Yeah. He's probably sitting next to some woman who's like, man, someone needs to use deodorant. He's like, who? Who's that? Who? (laughs) She can't be talking about me because she didn't use my name. (laughs) So yesterday was total chaos in the House, right? Then, after about two hours of arguing, it was decided that the Republicans were right. According to the rules, you can't call the president racist on the House floor. And that's when Eric Swalwell, former presidential candidate and woke Ken doll stepped up (laughs) to the plate. We have an opportunity today to condemn or condone. Birtherism is racist. Saying a Mexican judge can't be fair because of his heritage is racist. Saying immigrants from Mexico are rapists is racist. And telling four members of this body to go home is racist. Gentleman will state his... Do you think it's not racist? Gentleman will state his point of order. Do do you think it's not racist? The gentleman will suspend. Gentleman will state his point of order. Is that what you're saying right now, Mr. Collins? Damn, Eric Swalwell does not give a (laughs) You see him? (laughs) You know what what he has? He's got that, I just dropped out of the race swag. That's what he's got. (laughs) Yeah, you know when you've just been fired from your job, yeah, and in that moment, you don't think you'll ever work at another job? That's what he has. That's when you're truly at your most powerful. 
just throwing burger patties on the floor, putting your mouth on the soft serve machine, rubbing apple pies on your ass. You can tell Ronald about this. You tell Ronald about this. I'm ready to sleep in jail tonight. <laughs> it was such a great performance. <laughs> Some people probably wanted Swalwell to jump back into the presidential race after this, but unfortunately, it's too late. We already sold his spot in the graphic for ad space. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> so. This thing was pretty wild by congressional standards. And it wasn't just Democrats being called out for their words. At one point, Congressman See No Racism over here referred to AOC and her squad as anti-American. And then the Democrats tried to get him to retract his words. Things got so sidetracked by people objecting to each other's objections. At one point, the guy presiding over the chamber just decided he'd had enough. So the fight that ensued over Speaker Pelosi's comments on the president proved to be a breaking point for one Democratic lawmaker. But we don't ever, ever want to pass up, it seems, an opportunity to, ex- to escalate. And that's what this is. I'll dare anybody to look at any of the footage and see if there was any unfairness. But unfairness is not enough because we want to just fight. I abandon the chair. God damn. Do you know how much arguing you have to do to get that kind of reaction out of an old black man, huh? (laughs) That is a man who has endured thousands of hours listening to people argue in barbershops, and I can tell you, not once has he ripped off his apron like, enough, maybe Jordan and LeBron are both great players. Come on, y'all, come on. By the way, though, he probably had to know that there was a chance that his job could get crazy, right? Because if they give you a job where you have a giant ass hammer when you sign up, you know the shit isn't gonna be Wimbledon. (laughs) But even with those expectations, he was still like, I'm too old for this shit. (laughs) So after day four of go home gates, we are no closer to Republicans and Democrats agreeing on how to condemn Trump's tweet, which was racist. But the good news is we've all learned something new, all of us. We've learned in Congress, no one is allowed to call the president racist. Yes. And who knows, who knows? Maybe someday in the future, they'll write another rule that says the president isn't allowed to be racist. We'll be right back. My guest tonight is a visual artist from South Africa whose work recently appeared on the cover of Time magazine. Please welcome Nelson Makamo. (laughs) Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me, Trevor. Good for you to be here. It's exciting to have you on this side of the world. Um, I remember when I first saw your work, it, it, it enthralled me, it captured me, and I loved it as a fellow South African. But then when I saw it blow up on the world stage, it did something I, I never thought I could feel because art has always felt like it's been like a European thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, that's art. Yeah. And then it's like the Africans make nice things. They'd be like, oh, this is cute. Where did you pick this up? You know? <laughs> but, but, but you're starting to shake that. You're starting to change all of that. You just came back from your own showing in Paris, you know, where people, like your artwork's all, so, all sold out. Yeah. Who is Nelson Makamo and, and why do you think you're experiencing this success in the art world? Um, well, I mean, I don't know, even know where to start. Um, I mean, art has always been part of me. Right. 
Uh, growing up, uh, I mean, I grew up, um, I was born in a small town in South Africa. Um, it was quite interesting because growing up, toys were never actually an option as a black child. Right. So you had to create your own choice. So my foundation of art started from there. I started actually making toys from clay. Um, and then from there, studying from primary, um, it was quite interesting because, I mean, South Africa, as you know, in the 80s, post-apartheid, yeah. um, we were limited in terms of choices. Art was never an option. Yes. So as a child, um, you were told to either become a doctor, you know, you become a teacher, a lawyer. Yes. That's what your parents hoped you would do. That's what my parents were actually yeah. hoping for me and to drawing do. Drawing is not an option for like a young black child. That's exactly that. Yeah. But I was actually... As a job. I was fortunate enough <laughs> to have a mother who truly believed in my talent, that from an early age, she truly supported me. Right. So I had a strong supporting um, um, figure from an early age. Right. And, but it was also quite interesting because she never saw that as something that I would also make a living out of it as well. You've made more than just a living now. I mean, you, you've gone from being a successful artist in South Africa to a world-renowned artist. I mean, you know, people come to South Africa to view your art, to purchase your art. And I mean, everybody, you know, from, you know, from, from, from Alicia Keys through to, to Oprah Winfrey. I mean, I remember Oprah telling the story of how she came to your building yeah. and you have a building in the heart of Johannesburg in South Africa and there's no elevator. Actually, the, um, that was quite of one of the most interesting story because um, I was on the fourth floor. Yes. There was no elevator. Right. So she had to take the steps from the first, from the ground floor to the fourth floor. Right. She wasn't happy at all. Because <laughs> my favorite was Oprah, when Oprah tells us, she's like, uh, Oprah doesn't climb stairs for anybody. Like, Oprah was like, no. She's like, I'm, I'm not gonna, where's this guy? Why is he not coming with the art? And Nelson's like, no, this is where the studio is. But, but she came to you and she fell in love with the art. And as many people have, why do you think it connects with so many people from different walks of life? Because so many people would think of African art as African art, but it's like, no, this is art. Yeah. And you happen to be South African. I think like one of the privileges that I actually had was, um, um, I mean, I studied in a community-based college. Right. And um, I applied for residency, um, which um, I went to Italy for three months. I think having to have an experience of outside South Africa, that has actually helped me to sort of view things, not for only from a, an African perspective, but to actually look at things from a, glo a global perspective as well. Right. I started creating work more like a language, a universal language, um, in a way that um, it was quite interesting because the first thing that I did was to use a child as a subject in my work. Yeah, we've seen some of those amazing pictures. You, you've got these images of children, and I think on the cover of Time, they called it the art of hope. Yeah. You know, it, 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 because it, it, it showed South Africa and Africanness in a very different way. For so long, we've seen art that makes it, it it's all about poverty, it's yeah. all about pain, it's all about suffering. And here, these images, you can, in, you can, they're open to interpretation, but they feel hopeful, they feel young, they feel like children who live in Africa. And the scale of them is also huge. I mean, we have some, some pictures of you, you, you know, like working on some of your artworks. You, you have giant, giant pictures that you create. Why the children? Why their eyes? Why the glasses? What, is, what does that symbolize? Um, I, you know, I think another thing that I actually realize as time goes, I realize that, um, you know, and art, I mean, when you look at art, it doesn't matter. I mean, I got inspired by Picasso, which well, he was none non-African. Right. Then you start realizing that... And ironically, Picasso was inspired by Africans. That's, that's exactly that as well. That then you realize that there was something there that says that as people, 
we don't necessarily in terms of culture. I mean, the way we live, the world today, we all sort of aspire more or less to the same thing as well. Right. Um, I had to use a reference that was too close to me, which is, was a child, an African child. And the reason why I also did that was the fact that if you look at how the image of an African child was portrayed globally, it was portrayed either hungry, disadvantaged, and all of that as well. But if you've been to Africa and you realize that none of those things, it's almost like a taboo. Yes. And um, I had to go back and actually reintroduce how the way we are as Africans to actually say that we are more or less the same as any other person in the world as well. Right. Hardships, success, etc. And, and we're also inspired by beauty. Right. We follow culture. We love music. Um, today, when you go to Africa, you have a child who's got a smartphone. That actually tells you in terms of where we are as people as well. My thing and my view and how I've actually also drawn the inspiration from the world. The advantage of traveling has made me to also look at my environment as a source of inspiration as right. well. And why did I actually also had to blow them and make them so giantic? Is to actually bring them up close and personal. And when I did that, I realized that it actually also created a dialogue that as human beings, we experience the same thing. We experience the same joy. We all sort of have, we go through the same experiences in life as well. We go through the same political, we go through the same struggles as well. So as a young African who actually been given an opportunity to sort of like rewrite history and reintroduce our image to the world, mm -hmm. I had to go back and look at myself and say, if I was, I, if I were to sort of represent ourselves globally, what language will I use? I had to actually use a universal language. I had to use um, a child who's close to me as a point of reference, but that child is like any other child in the world. We don't actually choose to be born in certain spaces as well. Actually, for me, it was such a blessing to be born in a continent that has so much history that allowed me to actually tell that history what is actually currently happening as well take the very same inspiration that I've actually drawn globally, combine it and putting it in, 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 in an artwork as well. That's fantastic. And if you, if you look at your art now, you're traveling the world, you're selling your artworks in different countries, people, people are, are learning the name Nelson Makamo, you, you're a part of South Africa's uh, growth. I mean, you, you're investing in the inner city, you're changing the image of what the inner city is all about. What is your dream for art, African art and African artists as a whole? Uh, my dream is, I mean, more than anything else, I'm an independent artist. My journey, um, I had to actually go against the art. I had to go against the normal way because usually an artist to get to a certain point, especially with exposure and all of that, you actually had to have someone picking up like galleries as well. Right. And you've done that on your own. I've done that on my own because of um, the privilege of um, having technology of today, mm -hmm. which actually what it does that it simplifies Actually, for me, my dream was for people to have access to my work. Right. And um, for me to actually be featured on, on, on the time, especially the cover, that was the only museum that I could actually wish to have because it allowed each and every person to have access to my work as well. With that, I actually take that as an advantage to say, what can I do back at home? We are actually setting up spaces. Those spaces is like actually building bridges for young artists right. to actually see that it's actually possible to actually make it and to actually present yourself globally without really having to rely on the same system that has always been there. Because African art has always been underlooked because of those who've always been playing as the main players, the gatekeepers, as maybe the term some people will actually use as well. 
But today, when you actually think about art, it's no longer as intimidating as it used to be before. Right. Because there was only certain elite individuals that used to actually have access to art. And so your dream now is to create a world where young African artists can access the world with their art as opposed to somebody telling them how their art should be accessed. That's exactly that as well. And it's amazing, man. Thank you so much for being on the show, Nelson. Oh, thank you. Good having you out here. Appreciate you and everything you do. For more information about Nelson's work, go to nelsonmacamo.com. Nelson Macamo, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.